Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Ivan and Boa, currently based in Accra, Ghana. Ivan is a serial entrepreneur and C-suite leader who has built and led organizations driving financial inclusion in East and West Africa. He has dedicated his entire career over the past 18 years to driving financial inclusion in Africa, whether in international banking or with venture capital-backed fintech startups. Within this time, he worked across local banks, Fidelity Bank Ghana, growth stage global startups such as Tala and Umani Capital, and global financial institutions such as Citibank, where he rose to assistant vice president within the first six years of his career. Today, Ivan leverages his varied experiences as a management consultant by working with entrepreneurs who are looking to raise or deploy recently raised capital by co-creating strategy and advising on implementation. Ivan and I spoke about the role of consultants, adapting his leadership style, and knowing when in-person deal-making is desired. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Ivan. Welcome to the Everyday Leader podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. Thank you very much, Chris. Excited to, to chat and tell you all about my experience. Fantastic. So you are now... Uh, an independent consultant, and you're going to tell us a little bit about uh, how you got there uh, and, and what you offer to different types of companies and what your vision is for uh, adding impact and, and uh, growth to your clients. And that independent consultant role is really uh, comes from a, a wealth of experience that you've had over the years working at both startups and large companies, uh, mostly in, uh, you know, the finance space. Um, so before we go through that journey, you know, this podcast is about uncovering uh, stories of leaders who have worked up the ranks at different companies across Africa and hearing their stories of, of what leadership means and how they've navigated the, kind of the ups and downs and challenges and opportunities of what it means to be a manager and a leader um, not necessarily the founder or the CEO in, in all cases, but working as a part of a team uh, to really make progress together. So with that in mind, I'd love to, for you to share a story, uh, maybe a formative experience you had early in your career that uh, put you on the leadership path. Sure, sure, sure. I, um, I think maybe one story that comes to mind was in my first startup, Umati Capital, uh, which I co-founded together with a gentleman called Munutu Waii. And we launched Umati Capital in 2013, about 10 years ago. And what the firm was, uh, really was a platform to connect investors and small businesses that were looking to access working capital to grow their businesses. Um, and I remember that this was really probably one of my first experiences managing a team. I'd worked in global entities like Citibank, where I was a manager of one, you know, I might have one analyst supporting me, one associate. Then suddenly, you know, in my first startup, pretty soon, I found myself as a manager of managers, right? Um, and I think that, you know, when I go back to that experience, it really challenged me. Um, you know, and ultimately I found myself 
transition from a relatively strong individual contributor to a manager and learning on the go. In some cases, I was managing people who had more experience than I did in their function. Um, and so I had to really adjust what it means to manage. And I think one key lesson that stands out is that you don't necessarily need to know more than the person who you manage to be an effective manager. Um, and in fact, in many ways, although it was really tough, I think you know managing a team in a startup can also have disadvantages. You're typically united on a common goal, which is you know keeping the startup alive and achieving this dream that you all got together to pursue. Um, but sometimes in larger, more established institutions, um, you know, imagine can be challenging. You know, there are individuals pursuing careers. Not everyone's necessarily united towards the same goal. So definitely my, my first experience managing a team, uh, which also included managers, managers, but my first startup lessons there are, you know, learning I wasn't going to be the smartest person between myself and my direct report. And so therefore having to figure out where else I could add value. Fascinating. So yeah, there's definitely you know, the difference between uh, being the individual contributor and a manager and then a manager of managers and at a startup, especially as a founder, um, you know, if you're growing and adding team members, you definitely find yourself a manager of a manager quite quickly. And I think you mm -hmm. very clearly articulated um, with the, some of the differences in the mindsets and the learnings that you had. Uh, I wanted to unpack a little bit. You, you, you talked about the startup that you founded, and I found it interesting that it was between two more uh, corporate stints, you could say. One, you know, you, you mm -hmm. launched this startup uh, after, I think, close to eight years working at City and working your way up there. Yeah. Uh, and then after your startup, you uh, went on to work at a, more of a scale-up uh, fintech uh, in a managerial role. Um, could you kind yes. of contrast what it means to be a, a good manager or a manager in a company that you're running as a founder versus uh, more of an established company where you're not in a, a founder role, uh, you maybe don't have that founder oh, yeah. authority, where you still Absolutely. are expected to craft a vision and, and drive your teams for it? Very true, really, really true. Um, I think I'll tell you about the commonalities. Um, in terms of my leadership style, you know, regardless of both of those situations, and then sort of tell you about some of the differences. I think if I had to summarize my leadership style, there's this metaphor I once read about. A leader is like a captain, right, uh, of a ship. Um, most days, you want to spend your time on deck, right, looking at ahead in terms of where you're rowing to, um, trying to think about how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. But every now and then, something goes wrong. When it goes wrong, you need to be able to roll up your sleeves and go below deck and fix it. So generally, whether it was in my own startup or working in a scale-up like Tyler, it was really critical, um, and I communicated this with everyone who I managed, that I'd love to spend my time you know, painting a picture of where we want to go um, and trying to chart the best route there, but really leaving execution um, and a degree of autonomy in how execution is conducted through my direct reports, but also requiring my direct reports to have um, significant self-awareness to be able to know when they're in trouble and to be able to ask for help um, in order for me to sort of come below deck 
and help fix things. Now, I think the difference between uh, you know a your own startup versus a scale up or corporate is that in a startup, a lot of roles are not so clearly well defined, right? And it can be a good thing and a bad thing, especially in the early days. You essentially have a group of people who are willing to do whatever is required to get this organization where it needs to go versus when you're in a scale-up or maybe more established organization, you sometimes get that sort of silo mentality. Um, not everyone has a horizontal perspective of thinking across different silos and thinking through what needs to be done, i.e. you're not going to find you know, the engineer say, hey, we have a sales problem. I don't mind if I have some time helping out and doing a couple of calls. That's not going to happen. Right? People have their job descriptions and very clear lines, which means that, you know, it, it can often feel, I think as a manager a more established organization, relatively lonely and challenging, right? Um, not everyone can or is willing to sort of look at the challenges the way that you see them and the opportunities the way that you see them. Instead, others sort of really have sometimes a very fixed mindset, which is, you know, my job description requires me to do X, Y, Z, and that's really where my support begins and ends. Um, and so you have to know that, right? So it's also a sense of knowing how much you could ask of your team members versus being able to accept where they're comfortable putting their own barriers towards participation. But in your own startup, I think really, and even by virtue of the fact that typically most of your staff are also equity holders, either through employee share ownership schemes, you're all owners, right? Um, and since you're all owners, you have the ownership mentality and the way that you can manage you know, the ability to ask resources to go across different functions to do what must be done, it's a lot easier, right? You'll find a more willing group of individuals. That's so true. And um, so tell us how you now are um, leveraging all of these important leadership and business learnings from these uh, initial experiences to now what you're doing with independent consulting. Uh, tell us more about uh, what you offer and the types of uh, companies and organizations you, you work with. Sure, sure. So after you know 18 years, in banking, um, so eight years in banking, 10 years in fintech, including my own startup, uh, uh, scale up, and then also a second startup. Um, I've launched IKM Advisors. And what IKM Advisors is looking to do is really offer fractional C-suite services to early stage and growth stage startups who are either looking to raise capital or have recently raised capital and uh, want to be able to deploy it as efficiently as possible. And the genesis of that really is, you know, I've, I've been able to work with, you know, a caliber of, you know, some of the best in class, best in world talent in different organizations that I had. And of course, you know, the more you raise, the more stable your, your business is as a startup, you know, the easier it is for you to attract this sort of talent. But, you know, what happens if you're really early on? right, you are pre-seed or your seed or seed extension, as you say, you know, the thinking was, how can we get the caliber of talent that sometimes is required to help these companies make that transition without necessarily accelerating their burn rate, right? How do we essentially provide this fractional ownership, you know, at the risk of saying 
uberization, right, of talent. But thinking, how do you get the talent you need at the time you need it within the cost uh, framework that is suitable for you to help move the organization? And that's really what's behind ICANN Advisors. And I, you know, I'm excited to be able to work with different organizations. Um, you know, startups, which are early stage, first stage, are our primary target, but I've also had the opportunity to work with you know, different organizations, including nonprofits that you know, essentially are trying to employ a startup mentality in executing some of their programs, um, or just thinking about strategy in general. So what we do for these different entities, you know, primarily um, is strategy creation, uh, co-execution, or co-implementation of the same strategy, looking at new product development, um, capital raising is a critical need that we're seeing in the market. Um, and fundamentally, I'd say pretty much everything else that you'd expect out of your C-suite team, right? Uh, so it is early days, but we've had incredible traction so far, working with clients both in West Africa, uh, in Ghana, Nigeria, and also in Kenya. And so we're looking to expand this out. And this is what I'm doing um, now as I go into my 19th year uh, of professional experience. Amazing. And so how do you find this new uh, capacity? You've you've been working in teams and you now, uh, I believe, are kind of independent on your own for now. How do you um, balance that? I imagine you're still part of teams indirectly through your yes. <laughs> consulting engagements. Um, but how do you independently run your business uh, in that sense? Like, how do you uh, make sure you're uh, making good decisions as an independent business person and, uh, you know, charting a vision uh, for yourself to follow? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I think people are a facet of this business that um, are integral and almost never go away, right? So I find myself also working with teams, even when it comes to, let's say client mandate, um, almost always I have to be able to either co-implement or um, be able to successfully persuade adoption of a recommendation to a team, right? And so I almost find myself um, a part of multiple teams at the same time. Um, likewise, when it comes to implementation, I am working also with other consultants as well through a network of them. And so occasionally on some of my own implementation, while I might be tasked with originating the deal, I am able to sort of bring in, you know, the fractional time of other functional experts. But it's an interesting question, or rather it's an interesting place to be at, right? I've spent the past, um, let's see, um, 14 years uh, managing others, right? Um, so to speak of 14, 13 years managing others. And, and now I am primarily back to being an individual contributor, and it's exciting. I think, um, you know, occasionally, the more senior you are in your professional career, um, it's rare that you have a need or an opportunity to reinvent yourself, to sort of reinvest in learning and, and sort of get back at the forefront of execution as opposed to guiding others, right? I've, I've been managing managers, managers and whatnot for years. And now I find myself, you know, I am below deck pretty much almost all the time. Um, and so I think that this experience will also actually 
make me a better manager in the future once again as the team grows. Um, and I definitely recommend it. You know, it's it's an interesting and unexpected um, development, right? Uh, in the mid part of one's career to find yourself back as an individual contributor. So exciting. Absolutely. I do know what you mean. Um, uh, not not to the extent uh, that, that you're going through now, but I, I had been working for, uh, I think it was seven years or so uh, in different manager roles and then you know decided to pursue Coffee Jot as a startup and found myself again kind of independent. But as you said, you know, you're still constantly talking to potential partners, customers, uh, other um, stakeholders and needing to uh, essentially practice the same types of skills that you you uh, engaged with uh, as a manager. So I'm there with you. And I, I also feel that the experience I had of taking a step back and really going below ship, uh, below deck, rather, that, like you had mentioned is is a good um, exercise to really continue to reinvent and build your leadership uh, skills. So that's great to hear. Hundred percent. So yeah. that, that really solid uh, reflection. I'm curious how you, in your various roles and in this new role, have uh, embraced uh, different trends around uh, what it means to be in a hybrid or remote or yeah, you know, modern workplace and work environment. Uh, you're based in Accra now, but you have worked, you know, all all across the continent and beyond. Um, how do you go about, you know, um, embracing technology and workplace trends to to better yourself and better your business? Sure, sure. Um, you know, as you correctly put it, I I'm located in Ghana and working for clients in multiple different countries, right? And you know, even with some of the consultants that I, you know, partner with, you know, we're finding that we're globally distributed and sort of working asynchronously for clients in multiple time zones. And to me, when I think about trends, you know, especially the future of work, this looks like future work to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, I can't, I, I can't reiterate just how exciting it's been, um, you know, because, We've been in a situation where prior to COVID, um, you know, the thought that this could happen, right? You could sit in country X and support clients in country Y and Z without necessarily being face-to-face -face themed, maybe limited to, you know, pure technology, um, pure, we call it pure technology roles. But now, um, you know, I think that we're going to see an acceleration of this trend um, over time and, uh, to the point where companies can match themselves with the talent wherever it lies and also work together you know towards a shared goal without necessarily being in the same room um this is this is one trend that i i expect to see accelerate and i want to you know um to be able to take advantage of as much as possible so i, I wanted to ask a follow-up to that you know you you spoke yeah. that you, about you know living in in the, now the kind of the future and uh really um, being able to serve clients globally through kind of a network of, of other consultants to serve your clients. And it made me think, you know, a lot of your early career was uh, moving around the continent uh, with City and other organizations. Do you think if you now, you know, had been born 20 years later, 
would you have been moving around as much or do you think you know the future the, the nature of, of remote work will require that people uh, move around less or or maybe uh, move yeah. around more any thoughts on that yeah yeah and no, that's a really interesting question right um my you know my gut instinct would probably be, be that we would see less travel however if you think about what happened in COVID 19 right globally speaking you sort of see the travel so slows down to zero especially business travel um and everyone's doing zoom calls and whatnot but then people hate it people miss human interaction right and you know in some roles and some sorts of deals you know it's it's interesting that there's some roles and deals where i think um human interaction will still be required or at least desired maybe not necessarily required but desired right um if i think about some of the work that i have and maybe some of the engagements that i have maybe there's some that are easily done remotely but i know that there are some types of clients who, who already have had this who said hey you'll do most of your work remotely but i still need you to come to our our company our senior leadership retreat and, and do xyz for us so in fact um this has actually happened where with two of my clients i have had to do two in-person sessions with their leadership um which means great as well right it really sort of takes individuals away from just you know biopics or stock images in um you know in our online platforms of communication to actual real blood and flesh individuals and so i think to answer your question um will the trend that i've taken advantage of accelerate yes will that mean less need for in-person and travel yes but i still think that there's a generation of individuals who will still appreciate and and want some of that in-person interaction um and if i was born 20 years later I think there's some things I would have missed out. It's theoretically easier for me to work across multiple geographies in one location, right? I could sit in my living room and, you know, support work in multiple countries. But there are things that you learn from being a citizen, being a resident of a place, right? Getting to sort of know individuals outside of work that would be lost, right? Um, when I worked for Citibank, I worked across eight different countries um, and there are some intangibles that would have been impossible for me to have captured if it was all via zoom right uh, so i think maybe i would not have had the opportunity to work or to travel that much i would but potentially could have worked theoretically with more individuals across different countries if i was born 20 years later but i feel that my life my professional life my personal life is all the more richer because, well, I, I was sort of born in those analog times of work where <laughs> there's a lot of pounding of the flesh and, you know, uh, in-person meet and greets. And um, there's a still a place for that, even in this world of, you know, uh, asynchronous working and global distribution teams. I still think that there are some aspects of work that will still benefit from in-person. Well said, well said. Um... You know, we covered uh, a little bit of this earlier, but I did want to uh, ask you further a little bit more uh, about, you know, your 
workplace personality and leadership style, you, you touched on, you know, the difference between being above deck and below deck. Can you yeah, share more yeah. about uh, how you've evolved and how you approach yeah. your workplace personality and leadership and, and uh, within that, maybe um, if you've identified any superpowers that you still kind of lean in on uh, with this new role? Sure, sure, sure. Um, if I think back to when I sort of first started working, um, I took my first job in 2005, it seems like a long time ago. Um, and I think that in terms of workplace personality, perhaps I have always been, always demonstrated the sort of leader type personality, even at the beginning of my career, right? Um, and as a result, I probably showed up to work being a lot more assertive and confident than even perhaps I should have been, right? Um, however, that behavior really helped me stand out in different organizations where I worked and sort of made sure um, that I had this, this term these call in corporate visibility. Are you, are you visible and to the seniors, right? Um, but it's not enough to just be visible. I also had to make sure that my work supported the case for advancement uh, that I had. But over the past 18 years, and as I got more senior in the workplace, I've sort of had to learn to hold back that assertive, let's call it quote unquote leader personality, because I realized that it, it may discourage free flow conversation, right? As others may wrongly assume that because I hold a certain position or title, they are not in a position to offer alternative viewpoints once I have asserted my own, right? Um, and so this is definitely something that I, I, you know, I have to work very consciously on to ensure it doesn't overwhelm um, others who I'm working with. So, you know, I'm literally to the point that sometimes I think I find myself pinching my, my hand with my thumb and a finger to just make sure I am not the first person to open my mouth when a question is asked in a, in a room <clears throat> or, you know, learning to be actually uncomfortable, sometimes the silence. Um, I think many times I, you know, I have this incredible bias towards action. And if I don't see someone standing up, you know, what Chris personality wants to stand up and sort of get the room to go ahead and do something. But while that might've been great early on in my career, when I, I, I needed that visibility, I recognize now that it's, it has to be toned down considerably in order to make sure I can be the sort of leader um, that enables others to also emerge, for others to also be visible and others to shine. Um, have I identified a superpower? <laughs> um, a superpower may be too strong of a word, <clears throat> but I've certainly identified strengths in my career. And I think, you know, one of them is, is being a strong communicator, the ability to sort of paint a compelling vision using words. And I've leveraged this a lot of my work, whether it's you know, pitching for new business, raising capital, or recruiting team members. Um, you know, beyond communication, I find that um, I love to connect the dots horizontally. Um, and so I, I often get bored in function-specific work. And I, I love to, you know, to be able to consider, you know, multiple points of view towards any situation that we're in, right? So to be able to sort of, for example, in a lending business, you know, to look at a challenge from the perspective of our marketing team, but likewise from this perspective of the operations team and our risk team, 
and whatnot, right? So be able to sort of wear different hats through multiple different conversations in any given day um, and, and not lose the thread. In fact, of anything, to be able to sort of tie a cohesive view and potentially causality um, behind what is happening in an organization. So yeah, that, that would definitely be sort of my workplace personality. And um, I think some of the superpowers that I maybe have uh, been able to identify within myself. Amazing, that's a really powerful reflection and uh, kind of acknowledgement of the changes that you've had to make and are intentionally still trying to make as you uh, embark on this kind of next stage of your leadership journey that requires a different type of leadership uh, compared with kind of the early uh, days when you were you know, really trying to establish yourself. Um, and, and just as we, we start to wrap up uh, today's conversation, um, are there any other um, trends or reflections that you would care to share? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, so as mentioned earlier, I spent the past 18 years in financial services and fintech, and you know, just recently pivoted into, let's call it general advisory as a management consultant. And I think as a whole, management consulting has been largely free of disruption as compared to other sectors, at least over the past two decades of my own career, right? Um, but of course, with everyone beginning to see and think about how artificial intelligence will disrupt um, their sector, I think it's clear that it's coming towards consulting as well. But away from, let's say, what AI can do or will do to this space, I think a trend that is underappreciated actually is the shift in what companies are looking for when they engage with a magic consultant. You know, previously, I think clients would be inclined towards big name brand organizations, you know, the McKinsey's, the Bain and Company, who have troops of smart, young, data-driven analysts and associates who could synthesize relevant trends and make data-driven recommendations. And I think smarts and troops of smart people being the sort of major requirement will change. I think today, clients want consultants who can do more than just advise. You know, I believe companies want to work with and hire consultants with you know, discrete briefs, but also consultants who are able to both advise and execute in conjunction with a client. Um, and this means a shift away from your Ivy League consultants towards maybe battle-hardened former entrepreneurs and executives who can you know, relay lived experiences for their clients and essentially roll up their sleeves, go below deck and, and get the client shift to where it wants to go. Those would be some of my closing thoughts. Amazing. Thank you, Ivan. Uh, it's been fascinating hearing from you today about your leadership journey Thank and, you. and what, uh, what you're doing today uh, and uh, looking forward to staying in touch and hearing further uh, from you in the future. Thank you so much, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you so much. Much appreciated.